Isn't that a great hope? That God reigns as king forever. Man, I love that song. I'm not sure there's a better song to help us get ready to be in God's word than that very thing. Uh, thanks for singing that with us. You know, I'm not sure if you guys are, we're, not very, we're, we're, we're like five hours away from D.C., so we may not be into the politics as much as other people are, but do you ever wonder what the first thing the president decides when he's in office? Right, like he's elected, okay, but like the first day on the job, like what's the first thing he does? Does he like order lunch for people? Is it, is it stopping a nuclear attack? Like what does, what does it look like from the very beginning to lead people faithfully? H- how would you follow God while leading people? In fact, what does leading and trusting God look like combined together. I think that's what we're going to see this morning in Joshua chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the book of Joshua. We are not very far into it. It is the sixth book of the Old Testament. So if you're thinking Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 2 this morning. And remember from last week, in in case you you weren't here from last week, Joshua 2, or Joshua, the whole book of Joshua, is really not a book about the man Joshua, and it's not so much a book about the military conquest of the promised land by Israel. This is a book displaying the promises of God are good and being fulfilled. That's what the book of Joshua is about, is that God is faithful to keep his promises promises as he's bringing Israel into the promised land, and he's doing it because he loves them. He's doing it because he has chosen them to be his people, and so therefore he's giving them their inheritance, this promised land. And we're working on a verse of the series. I'm not sure if you have gotten uh, that screen thing or not, but I tell you, I, I think I've almost memorized it. Maybe not quite. I'll still probably look at the screen. Uh, every time I look at it, before I even open my phone, I'm reminded of the faithful promises of God. So let's all say our verse of the series together. Joshua 21, 45. You guys ready? Here it is. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Man, I think we could repeat that a billion times and still just enjoy hearing it. Let me pray for us as we get into God's word. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts today as we examine Joshua chapter 2. We pray that we would see your faithfulness. We, We pray you would help us to see your covenant loyalty. And we pray, Lord, that in response, we would live faithfully before you. So Lord, do a good work this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, chapter 2 is, is kind of big. It's 24 verses. We really are going to go through all 24 verses. So let me give you a roadmap of where we're going. Okay, here's what we want you to be walking away with this morning. Here's the big idea. Every day, display faithful loyalty to God because he promises covenant faithfulness to us. Every day, display faithful loyalty to God because he promises to have covenant faithfulness to us. And so we're going to break down chapter 2 in three different ways. We're going to look at the big lie 
in the first seven verses. We're going to look at the big confession in verses 8 to 14. And then in 15 through 24, we're going to look at the big promise. So the big lie, the big confession, and the big promise. So let me begin by reading chapter 2 of Joshua, verses 1 to 7. This might be a really familiar passage to those of you who grew up in the church. This is one of those ones that we're like, children's church, we make sure that they hear about this, okay? So you might be familiar with this. Here's what it says. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go to the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax she had laid in, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. You know, I remember my first days here at Friendship, trying to find the rhythm of life here in the church, trying to find the rhythm of life here in New Concord. Uh, with the staff, I remember asking the question, what sort of person are they used to? Uh, what meetings did they normally have? What expectations would they have for me as the pastor? And I soon realized I am different enough of a guy that everything was different from before. As much as I tried, I was not going to be the same as the previous pastor. And Joshua, though, having been with Moses, uh, was able to follow in the footsteps of Moses, and he sent spies into the land. Uh, this is textbook. This is what God commanded Moses to do in Numbers chapter 13. And so this is what then Joshua does. Here, here's what Numbers 13 says. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So we see that other people inhabited this land. And then we're just going to walk in there and the land just, here guys, here's the keys to the castle. No, th they had to go to war. They, they had to battle. And so if you're familiar with this part of Israel's history, you know that God ultimately performs a miraculous event of bringing the walls down. God fighting for Israel in Joshua chapter 6. And so some people might say, if God was going to do it anyway... Why did Joshua need to send over spies? Uh, didn't he trust God's plan? Friends, we need to remember that faith in God has always been faith acting in the wisdom that God has given us, not rejecting his wisdom. Jesus, in fact, said that if we love him, he didn't say sit back and do nothing. He said to instead obey his commandments. So faith in God is one of action and trusting God with the outcome. I think it's fair for us to ask this morning, how do faith and wisdom 
work together. They're not supposed to be opposed to each other. You can both trust God and wear a seatbelt when driving. Wearing a seatbelt doesn't display fear. It displays wisdom. Planting, watering, and waiting is using both wisdom about the land and trusting God with the outcome. Knowing that it's better to water seeds regularly is not rejecting faith in Jesus. It's an active faith. So Israel sending out spies to check out the land is not them being fearful. It's being wise and trusting God. If God has said they will possess the land, it doesn't mean that Israel puts no effort into it. Quite the opposite. So trusting the plan and the promise of God means that God's people act in faith. The same thing is true with evangelism today. We believe that God is in the business of saving people, and we know that we don't save them, but our faith in God's work is displayed in our sharing the gospel. So it ought to make us all more evangelistic, actually, knowing that it doesn't depend upon us, that it depends upon God, and that God is faithful, and that God actually saves. Look around. We are people who are saying God saves because we are people who have been saved. Israel was fully, faithfully trusting God by sending spies into the land. So if your trust in God makes you act less, I think that's a confused faith. Because we know that God acts faithfully, we should all the more work to entrust him with every situation. So the spies went to a house of a prostitute named Rahab, who was also an innkeeper. Okay, they lodged there, it says. And the spies probably went there trying to avoid detection, trying to look for a place that might be frequented by travelers, might have been used even a little bit like a hotel, but it didn't work. Their detection didn't work, and, and, and their presence was known to the king of Jericho. And Israel's reputation was known at this point throughout the world. Okay, With Israel camped on the other side of the Jordan, kind of opposite of Jericho, you bet that the people of Jericho were on high alert. At some point, the king had to have been made known, and the king wanted to capture these two spies. And so from verse 4 of our passage, it seems as though the reputation of Israel was part of the problem in the first place. The, the king of Jericho was upset that the men of Israel had gone here there. Why? Because of their reputation. The reputation was known to Rahab, and it had to have been known also to the king. And so do you notice what Rahab did? Rahab showed loyalty to Yahweh. She lives in Jericho. She is a Canaanite, but she isn't showing loyalty to her people or to the king of Jericho. And so did you notice what Rahab said? She said, true, the men came here to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Rahab didn't see them leave. Verse 6 says that she hid them on the roof. So what do we do with that as Christians? Are we to commend the faith of Rahab like Hebrews 11 did this morning in our scripture reading and like James chapter 2 does? 
Are we to be Christians who say that lying is wrong? Well, Rahab should be commended because she's aligning herself with Yahweh. She's doing the same thing that the spies are doing, right? If the spies were caught and asked, are you a spy here to give away our secrets in order to invade us? Well, what would they say? Of course they'd say no. They're showing loyalty to Yahweh who promised to give them this land. So Rahab is using words that really accomplish the same thing. They are being loyal to the Lord, even though they are being disloyal to the people of Jericho. Christian, our loyalty is ultimately to God. Do you realize our loyalty, Christian, is ultimately to God? We are called to make disciples of all nations, which is a mandate for Christians to care about missions and to send missionaries around the world so that every tongue and tribe and nation would hear the gospel and people from every tongue and tribe and nation would be saved. We give money, we sacrificially give money for missions to go out. But if a government official said that a Christian may not evangelize their citizens, what should a missionary do? If a Christian is asked, are you here to evangelize the nation, and he really does intend to do that, what should he do to enter a creative access country? We are called, brothers and sisters, to creatively show loyalty to Yahweh. There have been Christians who, in the service of protecting innocent life and in faithfulness to Yahweh, have said, I don't know where any Jews are, when they knew exactly where they had hidden them. We commend them for their actions. Israel is ready to invade the land and are promised uh, that this land is going to be given to them. But then something weird has kind of happened. Then we're introduced to this prostitute. And friends, I think this is important because the first example of being strong and courageous is this woman who is showing covenant loyalty to Yahweh by protecting Israel's spies. Joshua, a man of God, and then Rahab are a model of faith in Joshua chapter 2 that we should all follow. And so if truth means loyalty to neighbor and loyalty to Yahweh, Rahab was loyal to Yahweh. And so I'm not actually convinced that we should call it a lie. We can say Rahab is being faithful to Yahweh. Brothers and sisters, what does loyalty to God look like in your life? If we commend the faith of Rahab, but we don't imitate the faith of Rahab, I think we've missed the point. How far does your loyalty to Yahweh go? Right, Many would say they die for Jesus or do something hard for Jesus, but so often then skip out on daily living for him. We want to be loyal on the days when it really matters, when, but we also are called to be faithful to Yahweh 
every day of the week. Is your loyalty to Yahweh enough to read the Bible with your family? Is your loyalty to Yahweh enough to disciple someone else in the body or be willing to be discipled by someone in the body? The most fundamental way of showing loyalty to Jesus is once we become a Christian, we are baptized, we join a church, and then we help others faithfully follow Yahweh for the rest of our days. Rahab's words worked. The men of the king left and went to pursue them beyond the city gate. Brothers and sisters, every day display faithful loyalty to God because he promises his covenant faithfulness to us. Let's keep going in the passage. Let's look at verses 8 through 14, the big confession. Picking up in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Ammonites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our, hell, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear by me, swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell us this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I really like games of espionage. Okay, I like the board game Clue. I like the game Mafia, if you've ever played that. But my favorite part of each of those games is actually the end of the game, hearing the inside knowledge of the people playing the game, right? The person who gets out first in Mafia, and then they don't have to go to sleep, and they watch each of the Mafia people argue about who they're going to knock off next, okay? I think that's really fun to hear about. And that's kind of exactly what we get here in verse chapter 8. Rahab rid herself of the king's men, and then she goes to the roof to the Israel spies, and she lets them in on what she knows. And notice what she says in verse 9. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Her inside information is a game changer. Why did she save them? Well, she believed what Joshua 1 had already repeatedly stated, that the Lord had given them the land. She also speaks of this dread that had fallen upon the Canaanite inhabitants. 
And that's exactly what we see God promised of his people. In Exodus 15, beginning in verse 15, he says this, Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. And all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Or God says the same thing in Deuteronomy chapter 2. He says this, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And then God says it again in Deuteronomy eleven twenty five: No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. So what we see is that what was promised was then being fulfilled. Did you guys notice that them entering the promised land here in Joshua is 40 years after they crossed the Red Sea? But the memory of crossing the Red Sea 40 years earlier had not faded. It was vivid, again, due to Israel's proximity, the opposite of Jericho. Add in Israel's defeat of Sihon and Og, where the kings of the Amorites were, and now the Canaanites were terrified. Look at verse 11 with me. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And so it isn't just fear that Rahab is experiencing. All of Jericho is feeling that same fear. Rahab then goes on to confess that the Lord, Israel's God, is the God of heaven above and the earth beneath. For Yahweh, your God, is God she says. That's the same thing that the Lord commands Israel to believe in Deuteronomy 4, 39. He says this, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath and there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments. It's the same thing that Moses' father-in-law Jethro believed as Israel was leaving Egypt. In Exodus 18, it says, Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord God who has delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And then Jethro says this, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. It's the same thing that Naaman, the commander of the armies from the king of Syria in 2 Kings 5 believed when he was healed of leprosy. In 2 Kings 5, he says this, and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but 
in Israel. Rahab is in that same line of faith. So Rahab, uh, being uh, someone where travelers would frequently visit, might have heard the preaching of Moses through the people coming through her house and the people sitting around the fire telling stories. And she could have believed that this was all myth until these two guys show up at her doorstep. And she becomes a believer in Yahweh through the reports of others of the work that God has done. Brothers and sisters, evangelize. Share the good news. Share the work of God in your own life and in the life of human history of what God has done, not necessarily with the expectation that as soon as you share it, that that people will bow the knee, but with the expectation that God's name would be proclaimed. Neighborly evangelism, which is one of our core values, matters. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how are they to call on him whom they've not heard? And how can Rahabs of the world put their faith in Yahweh if they haven't heard about what God has done? The Lord can use our imperfect methods of evangelism to save. God saves. And so we don't have to be afraid of sharing the gospel with others. Friends, this was not a Billy Graham crusade with an altar call. And yet, what do we see that's true about Rahab? She's leaving her unbelieving environment. She's showing loyalty to Yahweh, even at her own risk. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're not sure how you think about God. Maybe you're not sure whether you are very loyal to him. Well, friends, you don't have to reject Jesus forever. What a great picture of someone who's become convinced of the power of God and the faithfulness of God and and looks to God for her salvation. Boy, what a picture Rahab is. Friend, if, if you are not a Christian this morning, this could be true of you also. You need to not simply know information about God. All the rest of Jericho knew what the Lord had done. You need to put your trust in the work of God for you. We find that work summarized in the gospel. The gospel is this. The God who created the universe and everything in it has created us in his image, to know him. And we have sinned against him. We have rejected his goodness and his word that governs our lives. And so we have incurred by rejecting God uh, a debt, a, a consequence for our rejection of him. The Bible calls that sin. And we know that if the sin is not dealt with, then we will receive the due punishment for our rebellion against God. But God, in his kindness and in his love, sent Jesus down to earth to live a perfect life, to have been tempted in every way but was without sin, to be our substitute for the wrath of God against our rebellion. And Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He died the death that he did not deserve, but we did. And he, on the cross, he said, it is 
finished, knowing that that payment had been complete. And so he died. And then on the third day after his death, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, showing that payment had been made. He was raised for our justification so that all who put their faith and trust in him, we would be adopted into God's family. We'd be forgiven. And we too would know the covenant loyalty of God. That is what we are called to believe in. That's called the gospel. And we are called to respond to that by saying, I want to know God. I want to know God's forgiveness. I want to trust in him. And I want to be part of the family of God. Friends, if that's you this morning, would you come find me after the service? I'd love to talk to you more about what that looks like. So come be saved today, just like Rahab. Now, because Rahab had risked her own life for God's people, because she was displaying her faith and trust in God, she asks the spies to save her and her family. The ESV uses the word kindly, but it isn't expressing really kind of what's happening there. Uh, the word kindly is really this weird, weird word called hesed, uh, a word that describes covenant loyalty. So other helpful words that, that we could use that would help us understand what's going on would be the words like mercy, compassionate, love, grace, faithfulness. It's a word that's used 250 times in the Old Testament describing an essential characteristic of God. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, God says that he lavishes his hesed, his love for a thousand generations on those who love him and obey his commands. And so hesed, this covenant loyalty, is how Rahab has dealt with the Israelite spies. And so in return, she's asking them to display covenant loyalty back to her by saving her family. And so in verse 13, the covenant loyalty would deliver their lives from death. Friends, do you realize that the message of the gospel, God's act of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus, is actually rooted in this idea of covenant faithfulness, this covenant loyalty? Hesed describes God's heart towards us. The love of God extends beyond duty and expectation. His forgiveness of sin brings restoration and continuation of fellowship with God through Jesus. And God promises to display covenant faithfulness ultimately through the person of Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, in the Lord, we, we are receiving God's hesed, his loving kindness, not because you did everything right, but actually because of Jesus. Jesus is why we would receive covenant faithfulness from God. And so in verse 14, the men said, we will deal kindly and faithfully with hesed. They said, if you prove to be loyal to Yahweh, when we take the land, we will display this love and truth towards you. They insist on secrecy being observed, but the men respond with a strong assurance that they will guarantee it with their very lives. Our life for yours, they say. Faithfulness and loyalty 
is the normal description for acts done in connection with a covenant agreement together. So brothers and sisters, every day, display faithful loyalty to God because he promises covenant faithfulness to us. Let's look at this last part, the big promise, beginning in verse 15. It says this, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Uh, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Well, the men still needed to leave Jericho, right? It's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to fulfill that promise that they made to her. Now, Rahab had already displayed her covenant faithfulness to them in verses 15 and 16. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. In the New Testament, James says that Rahab was dealing faithfully and displayed her faith. It says this, When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James 2 tells us. So she told them the way to go out. She let them out by a rope through her window, and they reiterated again that if she betrayed them, then she would be guiltless, they would be guiltless concerning the promise of loyalty. But she needed a sign. They gave her a prize for protection. She's supposed to hang this scarlet cord in the window of her house, the exit where they exit from. And so the scarlet cord is a sign that this house is safe from harm. Now, if you have read any number of interesting Bible commentaries, something eventually ends up coming up. Was the red scarf a symbol of the blood of Christ? I don't think so. I don't think the passage gives clues into that, that it's referring specifically to Jesus. 
But I do think it's related to blood. I do actually think it's a picture of the Passover. Some people actually even call this the Gentile Passover. Just like in Exodus 12, was where the blood of an unblemished lamb is put over the entrance and the exit of a home, and everyone inside the home would be safe, and all who didn't would, ha- would not have this red mark of blood on their doorpost. I actually think it is a similar idea here. The scarlet cord, the place of entrance and exit, these are signs of the sure command. No one is to leave the house or be subject to the Lord's judgment. Now, the judgment of the Lord was not in the form of an angel, but in the form of the Israelite armies passing through the land. But with the scarlet cord, judgment would pass over that household. And so Israel is saved by a Passover. Rahab saved in a Passover. And so it makes us ask the question, who are the people of God? Those who embody this Passover salvation, those who are covered by the blood. And so they agreed. She let him out. They hid in the hills for three days, like she said, before they returned and reported back to Joshua. And the story of the spies in Jericho is told in detail, not because of the military strategy, but because of the information gained by the spies. Those in Jericho were fearful because they had heard what the Lord had done for Israel. The conclusion in verse 24 is theologically insightful, and it's focused on the promise of God. The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. So Rahab's confession in verses 9 to 11, and then the spy's report in verse 24, demonstrate even the mightiest of cities, with the biggest of city walls like Jericho, will not be able to resist the power of the God of Israel. So brothers and sisters, we serve the same God. So every day, let us display our faithful loyalty to him because he promises to show his covenant faithfulness to us. You know, each military person when enlisting, makes the following oath. I, Brian Moffat, do solemnly affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Ultimately, no matter what the president does on his first day in the office, if it's to stop an attack or to order lunch, he is called to do that same thing to show loyalty to the country he leads. Friends, God keeps his promises. And we are called to trust God by being loyal to him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we carefully recognize that our loyalty towards you is so easily distracted and so easily forgotten that we look to have loyalty to us. Um, But God, we forget that you have already displayed 
your love towards us. You've displayed your covenant loyalty for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Father, we pray that we would be people who in, in reading your word would affirm if we have died to sin, how can we still live in it? God, we pray that we would see your covenant loyalty towards your people so clearly that sin's temptation would lose its taste, that it would lose its power, and that we would have eyes and hearts only for you, God. And so, Lord, help us to be bold in our covenant loyalty towards you. We thank you for your covenant loyalty towards us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.